Some Americans are searching for normalcy and other Americans are searching for a movement. The real question is how many of which are doing as such. And I think Super Tuesday definitely demonstrated who's looking for what. I'm Phoenix McLaughlin. This is the KSR Podcast. For this episode, we're going to bring you a kind of time capsule. We interviewed a series of Kennedy School students the day after Super Tuesday to get their thoughts about the Democratic primary election. Much has happened since then. The coronavirus pandemic has disrupted almost every aspect of life, including the election and including the production of this episode. Listening to the clips has a different flavor now than if we had posted this episode two weeks ago, as planned before the Kennedy School shut down. We got a range of perspectives on the race, and the conversation was tied to that specific moment. In the space of four days, Joe Biden rocketed from forgettable to frontrunner following his domination of South Carolina and the Super Tuesday states. But we have now been living with the reality of a likely Biden nomination for three weeks. It only just become reality then. The clips are not necessarily outdated. Much of what we heard are feelings about the candidates, party, and country that will shape the environment for the rest of the election. How people felt about the candidates on March 4th still affects how they feel about them today, including how they lament or applaud Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders' responses to the current crisis. Who the party is appealing to or not, and how individual states are relevant in elections or not, will continue to affect the landscape. Without further ado, let's dive into the interviews, conducted by Nigella Nakuna, Lucy O'Keefe, and myself. First, let's get a sense of the unique state-by-state dynamics of the race through Super Tuesday. Here's Christy Lawrence on her home state of South Carolina. So I think it's important to have a little bit of history around the South Carolina primary. It was moved up um, by Ronald Reagan's campaign in 1980 um, as an attempt to have a sort of Southern firewall. He recognized that having a Southern primary would help him galvanize support and maybe weed out um, other candidates in the Republican Party that the establishment was concerned wasn't going to be able to win the presidency. It wasn't until 1992 where Democrats followed suit, but 1992 was really interesting because Bill Clinton lost Iowa and New Hampshire, but ended up winning South Carolina and then ultimately ended up winning winning the presidency. So South Carolina, there's really no road to the White House without winning South Carolina. And since 1980, there hasn't been a Republican or Democrat that's become president that didn't win South Carolina. And here's Gabby Lastros on Texas. It, for the longest time, was supposed to go to Biden. And in the past couple months, Sanders was pushing up in the polls and it was closer than anyone expected. Um, It was about a 3% gap by the time it was called. Um, But one of the big issues that uh, it seems a lot of people are talking about was the wait times. Mm -hmm. Um, Voter suppression is big in Texas. The state has tried to pass a lot of legislation, including around voter IDs, but a new Uh, clerk in Harris County, which is where Houston is, has been trying to kind of push back against it. So this is the first time in Houston you could vote at any location. But in specific areas that have high concentrations of African-Americans and Latinos had really long lines, like one, two, three hours with 300 people waiting in lines going around several blocks, which is part of the reason it was called so late. They were going out into the morning practically waiting for these votes to be called. And that was also very close for most of the night Biden was within one or two points of Sanders in that area. Interesting. So do you think that that affected where people like standing in line voting? Like, who do you think that went in favor? I think it definitely went in favor of people not in those neighborhoods. The lines Mm -hmm. were shorter in um, 
whiter and wealthier neighborhoods and typically whiter voters tend to vote early anyway um, because of work on Tuesdays and, and a number of other reasons. Um, and I know I have colleagues from where I worked who were doing a program driving people to the polls and they were driving people from poll to poll to poll trying to find shorter lines. And a lot of people they talked to were dropping out of line um, or being turned away for getting there too late. The situation in Massachusetts was quite different than Texas. Here's Spencer Gurley Green. You know, I went and voted and I saw some scary stories about really, really long lines in other parts of the country. But uh, when I voted, it was, I think there was one other person in the polling place and it took me about eight seconds to vote. It was quite nice. It made me appreciate the infrastructure that I have in Massachusetts. Yeah, same for me. It was easy. Yeah. Easy as could be. Yeah, so I, you know, checked out the results as they came in in the evening on New York Times for Mass, and you get the results by town. And it's interesting to see that, you know, my uh, town where I live, Somerville, was one of the few towns in the state that went for Warren. And uh, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, and so it was uh, understandably disappointing for Elizabeth Warren to not win in her state where she's from, but. She's still my senator, still love her, and, and wish her the best. That brings us to students' views on the candidates and the race. There are plenty of opinions to be had. Chris Stewart, organizer of the Kennedy School for Warren Group, offered his take. I think what we saw overall was that all politics is national at this point. I think there are a lot of Democrats, and I, you know, I've been up to New Hampshire a lot. You have too. There are a lot of Democrats who've been waiting to see who's going to get the momentum Right. A lot of people want a clear answer. There's a lot of anxiety about beating Trump. And what did you see this weekend? You saw a bunch of candidates get out. Right. And I think for a lot of people, they said, oh, here's the here's the clarity. Here's yeah. the clear answer. It's Joe Biden now. And that's why those late deciders broke so heavily for him. Um, and he won states that, you know, I mean, nobody was really talking about him winning Texas last week. Um, so I think it's a it's a national story more than it is a state specific story. For sure. And for a while there yesterday, Warren was doing pretty well in Texas. What do you think happened? Well, why do I think she was doing well? Let's start there. I think Texans <laughs> appreciate her folksy Oklahoma roots. Yeah. OK. I think a lot of other people, you know, might think that it's uh, put on. But, you know, Texans see that she's tough. She's smart um, and she's real. And she taught at the University of Houston for 10 years. So I think she had an opportunity to win Texas, but I think that when it came down to it, she just has fallen out of the conversation in this race in a way that's really sad. Um, because I think that the way the primary has gone is to the detriment of the party. Yeah, and what do you think about next steps, what people should be thinking about in terms of voting? Um, what are your general thoughts? If you're a Democrat, I, I am a Democrat, <laughs> but I, my thought in terms of what people should consider is really think about the candidates, really make an informed decision. I think that people, in my opinion, people view Bernie Sanders as too extreme when his ideas are the mainstream of the party and not unpopular among the public. Mm. I think people see Biden as a safe bet and a slam dunk, and I don't know how true that is. So for you, it's not a numbers game, not just yet. Not just yet, because the truth is people endorsed and there was not a news cycle between the endorsements and Super Tuesday. Sure. So now the rubber's gonna meet the road. And, you know, we're all gonna be reintroduced to these 
two contenders, I think, again. We spoke to quite a few Warren supporters, and this was following a bad day for her candidacy. Here's Diego Garcia Bloom and Brian Feldman. For me, I am, I'm also a Warren supporter and very much a committed one. I'll stick with her as long as she's in the race. But I mean, you definitely saw a consolidation of all of the moderate candidates stacking the deck against Bernie by dropping out and mm-hmm. throwing their support towards Biden. It's kind of a nightmare scenario for me. Although I am very progressive, I have a lot of trust issues with Bernie on his Latin American policy. And then I'm just not excited about Biden. I think he's a great guy, but I, I don't feel the energy. And I also feel like he has a lot of performance uh, issues in the debates yeah. um, and is gaff prone. I agree with Diego here is one, he really needs to find a way to both like activate and energize the base. And I think also really lend a sense of urgency to the problems a lot of young people feel. Um, I think one of the biggest contrasts, and I am like Diego, I am not necessarily a Bernie supporter, but what I can appreciate about Bernie is that he does lend an air of urgency to the issues that he speaks about. And I think that has really, really been central and key to really ensuring that the Democratic base is fired up and will sort of turn out to vote. I haven't seen a similar move from Biden. So I really hope that he's able to adjust his positioning to elicit that same type of energy, or if not, at least picks a vice presidential candidate who is able to use some of those qualities. Yeah, I love that you guys were talking about their policies and and stances and what they have to do to energize the rest of the base because we only saw, what, just under 20 states last night. What do you think is going to be most important for the candidates to do for you as you think about um, voting in the general election? Well, for me, I really have to dig deep, especially if Warren drops. Yeah. I am motivated by... Bernie's commitment to really solving the income inequality issue, which I think is a true crisis in our country. And I was looking for big structural change. I think between Biden and Bernie, he, Bernie's the Bernie's one that fights for that. <laughs> yeah. But with my lack of trust in a lot of other places, I really have to weigh those two things. At the same time, then I am, although Biden sells himself on the electability piece, I actually think that for turnout, especially for younger people that we will need, that's a liability. And so if going to support uh, Biden for for president would mean for me kind of foregoing that big structural change uh, more for what I think is like a more centrist that could help down ballot candidates, um, so more pragmatic approach to it. So like kind of pragmatic and heart with a few trust issues. So I, I wish Bernie would kind of start speaking more about um, the way that he's going to unify the party. I think that would make a big difference for me. I feel like he might, he's a little uh, radicalizing or polarizing. So. Yeah, I think, you know, similar to my last comments, it's a really challenging trade off on my end because I feel between Biden and Bernie, it's pitting sort of who can beat Trump against advocating and advancing the Democratic Party toward policies that perhaps are more in line with what the base currently wants. And to try to navigate that trade off, I think is extremely challenging. Um, I think at this point, like my greater sense as like a pragmatist is just to beat uh, Trump. And at this point, especially after last night, 
it seemed like Bernie wasn't able to also build his coalition and yield a turnout that will be sufficient to do so in um, November. In terms of other things that I'm looking for, I think Biden's VP choice will be extremely, extremely key. I also think the timing of when Bernie decides to drop to help both coalesce everybody around the Democratic Party, if it is indeed Biden, who is the nominee. But I mean, prior to last night, I feel like the scenario of a brokered convention was somewhat high, even like on 538, it was a two and three chance that we we're going to have a brokered convention. And that honestly, that type of fracturing would be the last thing I would want to see when we then have to go against Donald Trump in November. We also spoke to a student who had just won an election herself. Here's Vicki Jindikashvili explaining the Democratic Ward Committee she won a spot on and her thoughts on the election in general. Democratic Ward Committees are basically the grassroots of the Democratic Party. Um, a ward is basically a section of a city. Um, and uh, in this Super Tuesday election, um, a group of 20 of us uh, ran for the Ward Committee uh, against uh, another group that was sort of closer to um, the mayor and um was a little bit less progressive than we see ourselves as being. So um, we ended up winning with 68% of the vote. Um, we got all of our candidates elected to the ward committee. We're really excited. And um, the job of these committees is basically to bring more people into the political process and build up a strong Democratic Party, um, which I think is more important than ever right now. Yeah, for sure. And, and jumping right off of that, can you kind of give us your thoughts about what happened last night and, and how you felt after? Sure. So um, I wasn't super surprised to see Biden win Massachusetts. I've lived here my whole life. One of the things I always tell people about Massachusetts is that it's not uh, nearly as progressive as you think it is. And so uh, if you know anything about the character of our legislature, for example, um, or our governor, for that matter, um, a Biden win is, is less surprising to you. Other than that, um, I was definitely uh, disappointed in the results last night. I still feel strongly that um, Bernie Sanders is the strongest candidate in this race, um, both from a perspective of supporting the right things and also uh, electability. He's got more individual donors than any campaign in history um, and actually has more than twice as many donors as Barack Obama had at this time in the 2008 primary um, and more than any other candidate in the race in all 50 states, except for the home states of his primary opponents. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and Bernie left Iowa and New Hampshire with a lot of external hype and, and media attention. What do you think his path to victory is now after last night? Um, so I think his path to victory now is the path to victory that he had from the beginning, which is basically uh, tens of thousands of people putting all their time into knocking on doors and making phone calls. Um, I supported this campaign the first time in 2016. Um, and what makes it different than the other campaigns is that it really is a movement that's not just a, a catchphrase. When Bernie ran in 2016, um, it created really a sort of groundswell of grassroots organizing here in Massachusetts that gave us some of our first progressive wins at the state level in decades. And that's what we're seeing in the people who are putting all their time into volunteering for him. So, um, you know, I'm not happy in, um, I'm not happy with what happened last night, but uh, I have seen on the ground the number of volunteers that they're able to mobilize. And 
I believe that we will win. Taking a step back, Mia Johnson offered her thoughts on the meaning of the election. I'm not shocked by the outcome that I saw last night. Um, there was a really good tweet, I think, by Brittany Cooper on Twitter. And she was just saying how, you know, she was basically saying how she wished that um, the Black community didn't fold under the fear of Trump to vote in the way that they did in the southern states. And I think that was a really excellent take. And I feel similarly, but I'm not necessarily mad at the outcome. You know, as, as a lawyer, a lot of what I think about is what's good for the Constitution and what's good for preserving um, the document that runs this nation. And and also, like, how do you get things done in Congress? Because, I mean, that's really what we need to be concerned about. Like, we need to be concerned about what's happening in the legislature. And we also need to be concerned about what um, court, what judges are being appointed by um, the administrations that we choose. And so I'm more concerned about preserving that and preserving constitutional integrity than I am about, like, the specific, the specific executive outcome. Um, and I think that what happened on Super Tuesday kind of was a reflection of some of those concerns. Um, and I think also we're just like a general reflection of like, you know, what's familiar and getting back to the status quo. And, you know, people can debate as to whether, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think some Americans are searching for normalcy and other Americans are searching for a movement. The real question is how many of which are doing as such. And I think Super Tuesday definitely demonstrated who's looking for what. Yeah, and a lot of people, to your point, said that South Carolina was a huge turning point in getting people to identify the decision-making process. Right? Yeah. They, they, they had a lot of contenders on the field, and then after South Carolina, the, the decision, even before candidates started to drop out, was made easier. I go back to that tweet. I think a lot of it is fear and, and people searching for something that reminds them of a better time. Like, regardless of what people think of Biden, he is associated with the Obama presidency, which is a pleasant time in many Americans' minds. Um, for me, I think some of that may have to do with, like, this idea of, like, racial neutrality that everybody wants to believe that they're a part of. And so if you draw back to that presidency, then you're going to end up with those very beautiful feelings that, like, oh, no, we aren't as racist as we thought we were and this was a fluke. But I think we need to be mindful that the Trump presidency is really just indicative of something that's been stewing in America for much longer than now. And so we should, I mean, Super Tuesday, you know, like people could take that as a victory or a loss in whatever way they want to. But I think we also need to be mindful that like what happened with Trump is not, it's not a fluke. Like this was intentional. This was the backlash and we need to be aware of that and that it could also happen again. And, you know, like Biden's victories are not necessarily indicative of that. Like that doesn't mean that our country won. That doesn't mean that our country was more moral. It actually just means that, you know, we, we have people who are searching for a more moderate candidate. Now, the real question is, is the moderate candidate indicative of an actual shift? Like, are we really leaning back into the Obama years as much as we think we are? Or is it just covering up feelings that probably have always stewed, like post the Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act of 1964, and yeah. um, affirmative action cases and what have you? So let's turn to someone who strongly supported the leading moderate candidate. We'll round out this episode with Lucy's conversation with Courtney Lamb, a longtime Joe Biden supporter. I voted for Joe Biden um, for the primaries. I'm registered in California, mm -hmm. um, and I've been um, a supporter of his since like 2016. So even before he announced, um, he was kind of like my candidate. So can you, uh, before we get into uh, Super Tuesday results, can you talk a little bit about supporting Biden and sort of what the campaign looks, the Biden campaign looks like right now? Yeah. Um, and other students um, that you know that are organizing for Biden? Sure. I think um, it's been a long, you know, almost one year since he's announced. As I said, I've supported him, you know, even 
before he um, came into the race, mm-hmm. basically when Trump won, um, Biden was my guy. But I think it's it's been rough because, you know, as someone in their 20s, most of your peers in your community um, that you surround yourself with are not really Biden supporters. And I think you can see that at Harvard and where I'm from back in San Francisco. And, you know, even in D.C., it's hard to kind of find other people who um, understand, you know, why you support him. But for me, I think having progressive ideas and, and you know, wanting revolutionary change is important. But because, um, you know, I've seen firsthand what it's like to get um, legislation passed and how to really enact actual change, you need to work across the aisle. Mm -hmm. I think that's just the reality of it. Um, And I think Joe Biden, um, from the very beginning, from the get-go, has been able to prove that he can build coalitions, um, work across the aisle. Um, He has a good reputation in the international community, so Mm -hmm. having other foreign leaders actually respect him and and the country. Um, And I think he's just like a decent person. Anyone who has worked for him can say that about him. He cares a lot about his staff. And he cares a lot about his family, and I think that's really relatable. And unfortunately, I don't think all the candidates are able to have all these qualities. Yeah. So you must be feeling pretty happy after last night. Yeah, Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about about your reaction? Yeah, um, I think for people like me, you know, I've canvassed for him while I'm here. And then Mm -hmm. I've also, um, you know, worked with his team. Um, back in DC, I think no, no one really, no one on his side actually like expected the turnout that that was last night. Yeah. Um, honestly, for a long time, well, the last couple of weeks, I was like, let's just have him come to a close second, right? Don't fall behind Sanders by that much. Like, I don't think any of us saw um, his kind of victory last night to be um, that extreme. I think, you know, there are a couple states that. Um, is important to look at. I think first um, was Virginia. It was like one of the first states to come come out with results for Virginia, Vermont. Virginia is, I think, pretty representative of the United States relative to maybe like California or even like Texas. It's slowly turning more blue, but you still have um, farmers down there, right? Coal miners. We have a big black community in Virginia. And the fact that for a long time people thought that Sanders w- was going to take it, but in the end, um, Biden winning by almost like thirty percent is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. And not only that, you see a you saw a large turnout compared to twenty sixteen, almost a, by double double the amount of primary voters compared to twenty sixteen. I think wow. that says a lot about you know Biden's enthusiasm, I guess, uh-huh. in general, but also people wanting to come out and and vote for Biden and try to take Trump out. Um, I think another state to look at is Massachusetts. Honestly, I didn't think he was going to come in first. I didn't even think he was going to come in like second or even third. Um, But I think with uh, Buttigieg dropping out and then all the momentum that Biden has had in the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours really helped. But I think Massachusetts was a big surprise for us. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was definitely shocked. I voted for Warren. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting to see her come in third. Yeah, yeah. You know, for personally for me, I think I would like to see Warren to continue to be in the race. So what are you looking forward to? And then we'll wrap up to, into the for the Biden campaign going forward. Do you think there's going to be any sort of shifting to sort of attract people that were um, supporting 
Warren or some of the other candidates dropped out. And sure. Particularly like, yeah, I'm thinking like younger voters. Yeah, I the young voters, I still have um, trouble seeing jump on with Biden um, because, you know, you you'll see this even at, at Harvard because um, I'm part of the Harvard for Biden organization and mm-hmm. it's been hard to get a good turnout mm-hmm. um, honestly but I, th- I think especially also in California too you see a big uh, support base for Sanders mm-hmm. um, but I do think as we near um, the convention and, and November you'll see the contest really narrowing it down to just the two um, Sanders and Biden that's I mean my yeah. opinion yeah so I think people will have to choose between that one another but yeah. i do think that um the warren supporters will likely choose biden i think mm-hmm. um because she is someone who like you know she has big ideas but i think she mm-hmm. also cares about implementation right and she also has a good you know relationships with um people in congress and yeah. she knows that you need to work together to yeah. implement real change now is certainly a time for real change We will see in the coming months what real change may be possible and what will be required as we deal with coronavirus. And in November, we will see the end result of the trajectory Super Tuesday put us on. We are grateful to everyone who decided to share their thoughts with us following that big day. Thank you for listening to the KSR Podcast. Stay safe and stay healthy.